This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, I'm Hanif Baharuddin. You're tuned into the show that explores the narratives of historical landmarks and places in the Klang Valley. Budget 2021 was tabled last week and it has been analysed multiple ways from many different angles and perspectives. LFKL will also like to take a look at the budget, but focusing on item 175 that states, 10 million ringgit will be allocated to ensure that National Heritage Buildings, such as the Sultan Abdul Samad Building and Karkosa Srinagara, will continue to be preserved and become tourism icons. We will be unpacking this with our resident heritage conservation expert, Elizabeth Cardoza. The item that was mentioned earlier was parked under Strategy 2, Strengthening Key Sectors, Measure 3, Sustainability of Tourism Industry, which means that heritage buildings are put under the purview of the tourism industry. Now, before we get deeper into the allocation and whether it's enough, let's explore deeper the implication of looking at our heritage buildings as a part of the tourism industry. It's something that has bothered our guest Elizabeth for quite a while now since she has always said that our heritage and cultural assets should be looked at and appreciated on its own. But in this instance, can the existential and philosophical dilemma be put aside for a more pragmatic categorization that resulted in such allocation? I think that, you know, that's, yes, you're right. I mean, it's by bugbear, right? But part of the problem has often been, not always been, has often been this association that the value of culture is only um, in terms of uh, what it can bring uh, what it adds to the tourism industry, it is not. It doesn't seem to be understood as having a value of its own. You know that that it has its own value, right? I mean, why is culture always seen as must provide for um, uh, the tourism industry? And again, when you're looking at tourism industry, you know here very often it's interpreted as. Yes, there is domestic tourism, yeah, yeah, you know. But actually, when you start uh, looking at cultural villages and you start looking at uh, monuments, uh, like the Sultan Samad building of Kosa Srinagara, when you start looking at places like this, you end up with um, this notion that, you know, they are the, the queens, the kings, the princesses, you know, that, that kind of thing of our, our heritage. Um, what happens with something which is more local? Uh, what happens with things which are valued by smaller or local communities? Not something that we want to show off. So, you know, it, it's true. Um, heritage is, I think it is identified, it is acknowledged that heritage is something which we value, which we have inherited from the past, which we value. Uh, we do understand that it kind of, in a sense, is a bit of a moving target, right? You know, what people in the past valued, that's something which is heritage, we can consider um, heritage. But then maybe things change, our ideas change, our notions change, our priorities change. So what we value in the present for the future is something which, again, we see as heritage. And how we consider heritage is what we think people of the future will value or will want to value or, you know, and that's kind of what we have as a notion of heritage now and culture. Um, but then, you know, as time moves on, I mean, these things change, right? So I think that we need to link 
heritage and culture more to the communities and the owners, the stewards of these cultural assets and these cultural resources. Um, and they could be governments, they could be nations, yeah. They could be uh, smaller communities, you know, a little village, you know, for example. Um, but for us to only ever think about it very often, only for its tourism value, it's just too much of a commodity, I think. And, and that really is a problem for the cultural heritage sector, you know, um, people like me who work in this area because it's like a commodity just like any other commodity so do you exchange one for another um how do you how do you consider it and you know if there is no tourism value does it mean that it has no value it is not something that you need to protect you know if you're not going to bring in the tourist dollar and how much of the tourist dollar which tourists um, how much of the tourist dollar is there and how real is it? You know, how authentic is it? How integral is it to the community which it belongs to? In terms of identity, in terms of um, pride, in terms of, you know, having your sense of place or your, your right to it um, and your understanding of, of, of it. You know, so how much of that is linked in? I think that that's, these are all questions that we're constantly grappling with. Yeah, and I think to a certain extent, I, I do sympathize with you. I do empathize with the, I guess, uh, slightly existential, slightly philosophical conversation about whether our heritage products, I mean, even calling them products are a bit wrong, actually. Yeah, yeah our heritage. Well, no, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, resources. Can we call them assets? Can yeah. we call them resources? Yeah, I you think that. <laughs> rather than products? Yes, that's, <laughs> because that's, products, again, you know, has this very strong uh, uh, sense of it being a commodity. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. Um. No, that's okay. That's okay. I mean, this is quite typical of all of us make this, you know, sense because that's the language um, that is being tossed around all the time in the arena, so to speak, in the news, in the media, in the realm of media, in the realm of government, in the realm of, you know, papers that we read, you know, including academia. And so you need to justify culture and heritage. And you, your justification for culture and heritage is because it is a commodity, it is a product that has this potential to raise the tourist dollar. Yeah, but I mean, just to play a bit of a devil's advocate, um, mm -hmm. because a more cynical part of me wonders uh, whether allocation like this would even happen if it's not under the tourism industry, you know what I mean? Like, because they seem to look at it from that touristic lens, I think they, they sort of like think that, okay, maybe we should allocate it. Granted, you could argue that the categorization, the interpretation of it might be wrong, but because it is parked under that tourism industry, at least in the way they see it, maybe that's how, at least this year, we managed to get a bit of an allocation on that? Yes, you're right. You know, that maybe it wouldn't have an indication and any allocation if it wasn't parked under tourism. But that doesn't make it right, you know. That mm. doesn't make it correct to actually sort of look at heritage as this um, commodity uh, that, you, that you want to, you know, profit from. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and it is really important that uh, these places, these resources, these assets, 
and, and especially uh, when it comes to intangible cultural heritage, when you're talking about practices and knowledge and, you know, the transmission of, of that kind of thing, we need to understand it in terms of what is sustainable. It can't just be, you know, airy-fairy and, oh, wouldn't it be good if, because, there, yeah, there isn't. I mean, uh, you know, the world doesn't operate that way, not now anyway. But we really ought to, how do I say, debate it. We ought to sort of think more deeply about the value of heritage if, you know, within the context of society, community, nation building, pride, you know, cultural pride, you know, we talk about happiness indexes and things like that. Well, you know, a cultural index is really important. If it is part of our, I mean, how do we, do we just assume ourselves and just say, oh, well, it's a globalized world and therefore, you know, we just look at it from that one perspective. I think there are many, many different perspectives to be looking at it from a small micro, you know, uh, way in, you know, to the big macro, right? I mean, the global story, you know, Um Sure. A lot of countries, and I'm not going to say in the developed world, I'm really not going to say that, um, so ignore that. Yeah, But that's how it's very often argued. A lot of countries do allocate for culture and heritage for their own sake, because they are part of the identity and the character that defines a group of people, a place, you know, a sensibility and, you know, helps shape and helps shore up these values and these identities, not because they're good for tourism. Tourism comes along, definitely. Um, people want to come and visit or experience uh, what they feel is, you know, an authentic, uh, an original place or an original um, sensibility, a native sense, so to speak. I'm not talking about native in a negative way, yeah, um, but something quite integral, yeah, so much part of the DNA of a place. And that, I think, is extremely important. So we really do need to find this balance and maybe reprogram re our language choice, you know. Can we not, we, we look at water, um, we just went through yet another uh, water in the Kalang Valley. You know, it's been like four, five times in the last two, three months. I mean, it's a bit crazy, right? Um, you know, uh, water disruption. Um, water is seen as air, you know, is seen as a human right. It is a resource that we all want to protect, that we all benefit from. Actually, why can't we look at culture in the same way? Because, you know, a cultural asset, it may not belong to a huge population, like a whole nation, but it may, you know, and just because it only belongs to a smaller group of people, doesn't make it any less um, important, doesn't make it any less critical, you know, to the identity, to the well-being of that group. So, you know, um, I'm not scoffing at it. It's great to see that there was an allocation specifically to National Heritage Buildings, but this is the key, eh? National Heritage Buildings, which means that these are, well, the two buildings that were named in Item 175 
uh, of the budget speech, you know, the Sultan Salman building and the Kosasmi Nagara are on the National Heritage Register as Warisan Kebangsaan um, and uh, have been on the um, register for a long time. And they therefore hold very, very high importance as, as a heritage resource, as an you know, as part of a national identity. This is why they're on the register, right? I mean, it's been deemed that that's the way it is. And then you call it preserved and become tourism icons. I mean, it's really an important part of our national identity because it's on our register, right? You know, the tourism thing is a, is a good thing, but it's not the be all and the end all of properties like this, you know, buildings like these, uh, assets or resources like these. Mm -hmm. And these are national heritage. So they do warrant under the law, under Act 645, the National Heritage Act, some form of protection. What about buildings that may not be on the register? Or what about all the other buildings that will be on the register? And if you have, you know, 180 buildings on the register and you have 10 million allocated, how are you going to divvy it up? You know, what, how do you look at prioritizing? You know, what needs to be done? Mm -hmm. Both the Sultan Samad building and Kakosa Srinagara have over the years, since the 1980s, been restored, rehabilitated. Uh, you know, work has been done multiple times to both these, uh, well, these collection of buildings. Sultan Samad building being a single building, but there are several buildings in the vicinity uh, which kind of belong to, if you look at it as an ensemble, yeah, the ensemble value of this, this the so-called, uh, you know, colonial British civic building, yeah, looking at that, the British Raj, uh, you know, it's been expressed as the British Raj uh, style with some people, with some architects um, and architectural historians. Kakosa Srinagara, of course, is also an ensemble of uh, buildings. It's two main buildings, but there are several um, other uh, smaller and other, um, you know, ancillary buildings in a large site. And so these are really important, they, you know, for them to have been gazetted under the National Heritage Act as Warisan Kabangsaan. Uh, but there are, you know, what? I, I don't have a number off the top of my head, but I would say 50, 60 other buildings, which are national heritage, maybe fewer, maybe more, but, you know, more or less in that range. We have, you know, 100, over 200 buildings that are on the register. Um, and, and of course, you know, there are over a thousand uh, structures and properties that are on uh, the tentative list. I mean, on a, an inventory, you know, in the expectation that they are important enough to become uh, gazetted and be included on the register. Mm. So 10 million is not a large sum of money, shall we just put it that way. And we can refurbish these buildings. Every time, you know, these buildings have been refurbished, more than 10 million have gone into their refurbishment. And so if they've been refurbished, you know, twice or three times, maybe more over a period of 20, 30, 30 years, let's say, there is a big question of maintenance. And so 
you know, um, item 174 in the budget speech, which is talking about tourism hotspots, maintenance and repair of tourism facilities. That is something that, you know, we can restore. And then, and then what do we do? You know, we bring tourists in and then what happens? What kind of um, values and stories do we, do we tell? What, how do we represent it? Um, to to visitors and to our own, uh, you know, our own community, meaning Malaysians, because they're national heritage buildings, yeah? Um, Malaysians have to take some, you know, we, we take pride in them. We say, look, this is like the top of the pecking order, <laughs> you know? That was Elizabeth Cardosa, heritage conservation expert, responding to the allocation made to our heritage buildings in budget 2021. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned. I'm Hanif Baharuddin and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharudin and joining me this week is heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa. We've been talking about the allocation of 10 million ringgit for heritage buildings in budget 2021. And earlier, she has given us her thoughts on whether it's appropriate to look at our heritage assets from the perspective of tourism. Now we're going to dive deeper into the amount allocated. Is 10 million ringgit enough to preserve our heritage buildings? Okay, in the press in the last year, well, not, not this year, you know, 2020 has been a strange year, right, for everybody. I mean, and, and that really hasn't been. But if you remember 2019, um, 2018, 2017, there were several times when huge sums of money were being, I mean, uh, costs, huh? budgets were being sought for, uh, sought after for the restoration and refurbishment of several. Um, other buildings, including uh, the Sultan Samad building, yeah, and Kakosa, and you know, we we heard from the press, if we're reading in the press, you know, sums of oh, we you know, um, DBKL or City Hall have allocated um, you know forty million for you know the former survey office, or um, uh, you know, there's been a um, the Ministry of Tourism and Culture and Heritage under the previous, a couple of previous um, former ministers, you know, was seeking 120 million for the, uh, for work to be done on four or five uh, buildings in and around the Dataran Merdeka site. If you look at the millions that were spent on, um, never mind the River of Life, I'm not going to talk about that, but the refurbishment, the rehabilitation of uh, Masjid Jami, very important structures. All of those, I believe, uh, would have exceeded um, the 10 million just for a single structure. So 10 million is not a large sum of money, right? It's a start. Um, and where do we go from there? What other budgets may be, because, you know, there may be budgets which are available under directly under Jabatan Warisan, for example. I don't know. I mean, does Jabatan Warisan have its own allocation, annual allocation for rehabilitation or, you know, of these uh, of buildings on their register. Does JKR uh, have um, an allocation for, you know, buildings on this register? 
which are public buildings under their purview, you know, you know, do the at state level, you know, do the states have and, you know, have they set aside allocations for refurbishment um, and preservation uh, and conservation of buildings which are on the National Heritage Register? I don't know. The commentary has always been, often been, uh, by authorities that actually they don't have the budget. There is no budget allocation. So I suppose, you know, 10 million is a start, but how do you decide where you're going to put it, you know, and how you're going to use it? Because I can tell you, as, as we know, with, with anything, with your own house, you can have a budget to do renovations, but if you don't have a regular maintenance budget, uh, it's going to, you know, fall into disrepair and you're going to have to spend a lot of money, you know, a, a few years down the road um, refurbishing it yet again, right? And this example we have seen many times with many buildings, and I'm not only talking about heritage buildings, with all kinds of structures, roads and, you know, other kinds of infrastructure and bridges and whatnot and whatnot, right? So it isn't only to do with heritage. It's a question of how do we, we can spend money on it. Then how, you know, do we have a plan? Do we have a maintenance plan? Do we have an asset management plan? Do we have the people, the human resources that actually understand how to manage these properties in a sustainable manner? So that you don't have to keep, you know, go, oh, you know, 10 years later, oh, we have to spend this, you know, tremendous amount of money because we just haven't looked after the building. And it's, you know, I, you know, fallen apart for whatever reason. That's something that, that really needs to be looked at. So that's why I was quite interested in, in the one that said, you know, a total of 50 million ringgit will be provided for maintenance, repairs of tourism facilities. I'm assuming they mean tourism facilities which have some form of, um, which are not privately owned? I don't know. It's not clear, yeah? But since it's a budget by the government, I'm assuming it will be properties, you know, which are held in public trust somewhere or another, not private hands. So this will be 50 million throughout the country. Then you add 10 million for these two buildings. So 60 million is going to go toward uh, structures which uh, throughout the country, which relate to heritage, culture and heritage for tourism purposes. Then there is an allocation on an additional uh, 20 million. No, sorry, I don't even know whether it's an additional because it, it says so in the same paragraph. You know, 50 million for maintenance and repairs of tourism facilities throughout the country and an allocation of 20 million will be provided to improve the infrastructure. So whether this 20 million is part of the 50 million or separate, I'm not sure. Do you know? I suppose it'll become clearer in the next few months, right? So potentially we are looking at not very much of an allocation for culture and heritage, mm. which is specifically in this budget. Mm. And this is physical, yeah. This is this is we don't even we're not even talking about intangible uh, cultural heritage um, or natural heritage that that's you know dealt with elsewhere, um, if at all. We are talking here about the physical environment for tourism purposes. Okay, uh, so for people who are not familiar with the process, and I think because you are a bit more familiar with the process, right? Uh, what's the usual cost of maintaining and preserving our heritage buildings? And where does the expenditure go usually? Well, okay, 
let me just say, we, I mean, you know, um, I was involved in the restoration of the uh, Masjid Raja Sultan Sulaiman, for example. Yeah. So very specifically, and, and you know, um, the Selangor government will publish, you know, and said that it cost a total of, you know, in the region of 10 million ringgit to restore the building, you know, and uh, with an additional, that's the big, the mosque with, out of which, well, maybe 11, 12 million in total, part of which uh, involve fees um, and all the, you know, all the paperwork that needed to go with it, right? Um, all the documentation, all the certifications that needed to go with it, plus a new structure, a new administrative building that we put up uh, with infrastructure development, you know, kapak la, lighting la, you know, and stuff like that, right? Um, that needed to be improved and um, because it was a mosque that was originally built in, uh, in the 1930s. So for a structure like that, let's say it was a budget exceeding this 10 million, yeah? Then you have an annual budget to maintain it, uh, which Jai is uh, the Jawatan Agama Islam uh, Selangor will be providing, um, and then to run it and to run programs, etc., etc. But if you look at something like uh, the Sultan Bazamat building in and around 2006, 2007, maybe if I'm not mistaken, something like that, you know, cost. It was a rehabilitation and a renovation to allow the ministry to go in um, and Jabatan Warsan, you know, to take it over. And that, if I remember, the budget was 50 million. So, you know, um, it could be as, as big or as small, depending on the kind of work that you're doing. You need to do um, how dilapidated the building is and what new things you need to put in to upgrade them so that they are able to, you know, live, so to speak. They are able to provide for the community that, uh, you know, is the, the, the community that will be using it, you know, including um, modern standards, you know, uh, like disability access and, you know, um, things such as making sure your fire safety systems are in place and your electrical wiring is intact, you know, etc. You know, that kind of thing, upgrading your toilets, um, those sorts of things. So then you have other buildings that, that um, you know, didn't have much of a budget, maybe one and a half, two million, which were heritage buildings um, on the register, um, because what they really did was went in there, cleaned it up, painted it and uh, refurbished it for the sake of making it habitable yeah so yeah your guess is as good as mine how much it would cost without actually a study a full dilapidation um, study and an understanding of how the buildings are going to be used and a maintenance and a management what we call a conservation management plan without a conservation management plan things will continue to be done on an ad hoc basis and then you may actually it you may actually be doing quite a lot of double handling there you know where you make some change and then you go oh i'm not compliant with heritage standards or whatever or oh, oh we thought it was going to be used as a hotel oh now it's going to be used as a conference center you know and then you have to change right so so it really is about the whole decision about what needs to be done or what 
use these properties, these, these buildings are going to be? Are they going to be changed of use? Are they going to be used in the same way for the same purpose? So to make them fit for purpose, um, costs could be small or they could be huge. But, you know, 10 million, I have no idea what this 10 million is. You know, how, given the condition, I think, of both buildings, as I've seen, certainly Kakosa and Srinagara, uh, Kakosa especially, which will probably need quite a lot of restoration work done. Um, I don't know that the 10 million, this 10 million allocation uh, will be good enough. But also, if you do start the work, you know, without knowing what your end user, end user is going to, who your end user is going to be, what purpose it's going to be used for, those decisions have to be made. And that really is done in conservation terms, in heritage terms. We look at a conservation management plan that helps guide you in this. And that has to come first. Um, because if not, you are designing um, and then you go, oh, you mean we cannot do it? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's that kind of a thing. And then you start from, you know, you, 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 you start from scratch. So we need to look at all kinds of things apart from dilapidation and conservation management plan. We need to look at um, if you're going to design, we need to understand the impact, you know, and we do impact assessments, environmental impact assessments, social impact assessments, heritage impact assessments. And these, assess these impact assessments will help us understand what the impact of these changes will be on the heritage values and the cultural values of these places. So mm. that's kind of, you know, a long way of saying, you know, I don't know. I mean, you put one million toward 10 buildings, you put five million each toward these two buildings. What will you end up with? Mm. How much of that is going necessarily going to be toward the studies because you need it for, if you don't have the study and you go in blind, mistakes will be made and it's costly. Mistakes are always costly because you, you might need to reverse things if you haven't understood what you're doing. You know, you haven't understood the, the heritage values of that place and the, the state and the significance of that property to um, the community around you that own it, that are custodians of it. Sure, it's good that there is an allocation, but now we wait to see how it's going to be used. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I guess maybe we can end it with that, right? Uh, thinking about whether we should be looking at it positively, that maybe it's a good start. It's the beginning of something, I guess, good. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I mean, it, it is, it is, it's good that there was, that there is a specific mention mm. and there's a specific allocation. You know, one doesn't want to criticize the fact that, you know, I mean, 10 million is 10 million more than, you know, when you have zero, you know, 10 million is a lot of money. Yeah. How it's going to be used. I think that that a lot of people are watching to see how it's going to be used. I hope people are, you know, positively watching, meaning not like, yeah, you know, they're going to do this or do that. No, you know, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm actually saying let's let's be let's look at it and, and you know, try to help and understand. But it has to be seen in a realistic way you know, as what will it take? Um, because sometimes you want to do little, you want to do very little, but you want to make sure that the structure physically can uh, be maintained. And then when there's further budget, you, so, you know, if you have a leaking roof, right? Fix the leak, lah, right? If not, when the roof leaks, your rooms inside, you know, your floor um, and your building gets damaged, your, the interior of your building gets damaged, and then, and then you have 
it takes more to fix, right? And if you are waiting to say, oh, we need the full budget, you know, it's going to cost us 40 million or something like that. We need the full 40 million before we can even start. Um, kind of sometimes you're waiting until the cows come home. But, you know, and then actually what you thought was 40 million, you know, in two years time, when you get your budget, the 40 million won't be enough because actually, because you didn't protect your roof and you didn't protect the interior of your building, your structure is further damaged and it's going to now cost you 60 million, you know, that kind of thing. So, so yeah, it, it really will be good to be able to understand, you know, what is immediate in terms of a priority that should be done specifically for these two buildings since they have been named. How quickly can they be done as a first step? Um, and then to work out um, the rest of it, you know, um, where's the rest of the budget going to come from? Uh, who's going to be using it and for what purpose? You've been tuning in to I Love KL featuring our resident heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa responding to the 10 million allocation for the preservation of our heritage buildings in budget 2021. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash I Love KL, our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and also Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Join us again next week only on BFM 89.9, the business station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.